All right, well, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we ask that you would help us to understand better um, the relationship between the Holy Spirit and the Christ. And, our, and I pray that we would better appreciate um, what he has come to do in the world and, and the gift of the Spirit as we look at the influence of the Spirit upon the life of our Savior. And I pray, Lord, that we would give him glory, not just for the Spirit being upon him in full measure, but also for his giving us the Spirit, which testifies of him. And I pray that you would give us uh, a better understanding of our Lord and of your dealings with mankind. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the... Topic this afternoon, as we continue the series on the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit and Christ. The Holy Spirit and Christ. And um, I want to begin by reading a quote that I found in Graham Cole, but it's not by Graham Cole's book. It's uh, not by Graham Cole in his book, but it's was found in there, but it's not by him. It's by Abraham Kuyper, and he writes this. Um, this ought to be carefully noticed, especially since the church has never sufficiently confessed the influence of the Holy Spirit exerted on the work of Christ. The general impression is that the work of the Holy Spirit begins when the work of the mediator on earth is finished. As though until that time, until the time that the work of the mediator of Christ's work on earth was finished, as though until that time the Holy Spirit celebrated his divine day of rest. Yet the scriptures, yet the scripture teaches again and again that Christ performed his mediatorial work controlled and impelled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I will not, uh, I'm not going to, uh, I want you to know from the outset, this is I think a pretty, uh, it's on the one hand a, a simple topic um, and yet it's, I think, filled with uh, complexities and questions that we may not even be able to answer entirely. Um, but uh, the, I think it is important that we understand how the Holy Spirit was related um, to Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. When we talk about this topic, the Holy Spirit in Christ, we're talking primarily, almost exclusively, uh, concerning the Holy Spirit's influences on the humanity of Christ, on his human nature. And yet, we, we do sometimes get the impression that, uh, that the Holy Spirit finally really came into his own once Jesus left because we fail to observe and contemplate the work of the Spirit on Christ uh, during his earthly ministry. So what I'm, what I'm going to do today is we're going to talk about the different ways the Holy Spirit uh, was, uh, was related to the ministry of Jesus Christ uh, during his incarnation. And uh, the main ideas and points out in the interest of transparency come from um, come from a few different sources, primarily that of um, A. A. Hodge and his outlines of theology as a little section on Christ and the Holy Spirit. He has a lot of uh, helpful passages to look at and think about in that section. Also looked at uh, a little bit of Graham Cole, but just a, a, a tiny bit. That's the, that's the, I didn't bring that book. I also considered Sinclair Ferguson's chapter entitled The Spirit of Christ, where he talks about this. I've also glanced at Rollo McCune and his systematic theology. He has a section on the Holy Spirit and Christ. And so there's, uh, if you're interested in reading more about this, those are some of the places you could go. Graham Cole, Rollo McCune, and uh, Sinclair Ferguson. And what we find is that the Holy Spirit 
is very much active during Christ's earthly ministry. And that's seen right at the outset in preparing the way for Christ. Now, one of the things that Dr. White is going to talk about, I think still, I think this is the plan, is that he's, he's going to look at the relation of the Holy Spirit in Old Testament prophecies. Something along those lines was, is the plan. And, and that is a clue, right, uh, for us as we begin to contemplate the relation of the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ. Now, I wish I had like a nice PowerPoint for you to look at, but I don't even know what I'd put up on it other than maybe the verses that we'll all be looking up. But um, the, the fact that the Holy Spirit is prophesied to be active and poured out in the age to come, in the kingdom, the Old Testament prophets make very clear that the, old, that the, that the kingdom age is an age marked by an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, this kingdom age is the age of Christ. It's the messianic kingdom. So, if you're tracking with me, right there we can begin to understand the significance of why the Holy Spirit would be so invested in Christ in his first coming. We should expect that the Christ would be especially marked by the Holy Spirit. So we'll be looking at different facets of this relationship. Can you think of, can anyone here think of a prophecy in the Old Testament that foretells the the Holy Spirit marking the the kingdom age, the messianic age? The Holy Spirit being poured out especially in the messianic kingdom. Anybody think of an Old Testament prophecy related to that? Scott? Oh, yeah, for sure. Joel. Yes, Joel chapter 2. All right, so let's turn to Joel chapter 2. Verse 28. I'll start in verse 26. I could really uh, read a lot more here, but if I get bogged down in this question, which I'm really, I'm just doing on, I'm actually doing on the fly this first question, to try to whet your appetite, if I may, or get your mind going a little bit in this direction. Verse 28 of Joel 2, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit, there it is, my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even, I'm, I'm sorry, in those days, I'm sorry, even on the male and female servants, in those days, I will, again, pour out my spirit, and then he continues, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. So right here, we see that the spirit will be poured out in the kingdom age to come. There will be an abundance of prophecy. Uh, there will be a, a time of spiritual renewal upon the people of Israel. Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones. And Ezekiel has lots to say about the spirit in the kingdom. Isaiah talks about the, the, the ministry of the Spirit. Go to Luke chapter 4. Now I know I'm going to the New Testament, but that's because it's quoting the Old Testament. We'll return to this passage, or allude to it at least, again later on. But what does Jesus say in verse 17? And 18 and 19, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, to Jesus. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So here Jesus is citing Isaiah 61. And there are other prophecies in Isaiah that where Isaiah is speaking of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord being upon the Christ. Thus, my my big idea here for you to begin as we think about the, the relationship of the Holy Spirit and the Christ is that the Old Testament prophets foretold of a kingdom, a messianic kingdom, an age of renewal, where God brings together all of his all of his people from captivity and unites the northern and the southern tribes into one nation under the son of David as king. This will be a glory age. An age like unlike any other. And marking this age will be the Holy Spirit. In he will be poured out in abundance. This is necessary for the salvation of the Jewish people, writing the law upon their hearts, making them new in totality, and then bringing them into the kingdom. So this is necessary, but it's also a mark of the one who rules over this age, that the Spirit of God will be upon him in full measure. Now, that's the background that leads into the New Testament and the 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 role of the Holy Spirit with Jesus Christ. So we have these Old Testament prophecies that are preparing the way for Christ. And, and that's an important part of this. The Holy Spirit, if as to begin with, prepares the way for Jesus Christ. He prepares the way by sending, by, by proclaiming, uh, by, by prophesying concerning the king, the, the, the messianic age through the Old Testament prophets. But then another way that he prepares the way is in the New Testament prophets. Now what I mean by New Testament prophets are the kind of prophets we find in Luke 1. So is the Holy Spirit seen in Luke chapters 1 and 2 to prepare the way for Christ? Yes. Yes, it is indeed. Um, how about verse 41? I'm in Luke chapter 1, verse 41. <clears throat> and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now go down to verse 67 of Luke 1. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Go to Luke 2, verse 25. Um. Notice, this is, a, this is a striking one. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, the hope of Israel, the comfort of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, continuing verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, etc., etc. So, right here, in these verses, three times, we're told that the Holy Spirit is at work preparing the way for the Christ. And so this is a big deal. This is, a, this is huge. It's happening months prior. And then once Jesus is born, the Spirit is still there. And then, we have these words of prophecy that come from Simeon. The Holy Spirit then is, is preparing the way for Christ. He is, he is getting people ready through prophetic utterances. And then, of course, with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a prophet filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, if you go to chapter 1, now you've got to go back to chapter 1, verse 15. Now, one of the things that we find that's really interesting as we go along, one of the things I want you to think about and notice is that the Holy Spirit is involved with Christ in a witnessing kind of way to to testify about who He is. God wants men and women to know who this Christ is. 
And so the Spirit testified. And that's what we're seeing in these early passages. We see it in the Old Testament prophecies. We're seeing it in these New Testament prophets. And we're going to see it, we're going to see it later on, on Christ Himself. And then, after Christ leaves, after Christ leaves, the apostles are testifying to who Christ is through the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is, has this testifying ministry. The Father sends the Spirit with Christ so that men know who He is. That's part of His ministry. And that's what we're seeing here in His preparation ministry. Now, but John the Baptist is a crucial part of this as well. For he will be great before the Lord, speaking of John the Baptist. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Now that might be speaking of the kind of, uh, well, the attitude of Elijah. Or he could be talking about capital S spirit of Elijah. But nonetheless, um, we see that the Holy Spirit is marking John the Baptist's ministry. John the Baptist is a prophet. He is the greatest of prophets besides the Christ. And yet he's not worthy to even touch the laces, um, undo the laces of Jesus' sandals. So the, the first way that we see the Holy Spirit relating to Christ that I want you to observe is his preparatory ministry. So before Christ comes, there's all of this work that God is doing through the Holy Spirit in prophetic ministry, not just in the Old Testament age, but then it really picks up as Jesus is, as Jesus' incarnation nears, and then after his incarnation, before he, before his public appearance to Israel, the Holy Spirit is involved. Now, what is, what is a, let me ask you this, okay? Well, let's go to the second one. Second relationship of the Holy Spirit to Christ. What is perhaps the most familiar aspect of the relationship of the Holy Spirit of Christ that we think of? And you might be thinking of a different one than I'm thinking of, but that's okay. But I, I have one that, that comes almost immediately to mind. What is that? Eric? Yes. Yes, the, the virgin birth. The virgin birth. And um, we can go to Luke 1. So we see the Holy Spirit involved here again in begetting Christ's human nature and preparing the way for Christ and in begetting Christ's human nature through the virgin birth in Mary. Verse 20, verse 35, excuse me. And the angel Gabriel answered Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So here in Luke, Luke is emphasizing the role of the Holy Spirit in bringing about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew emphasizes this as well. So turn back to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now it's verse 20. But as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So two times you see this emphasized. Um, now, couple things about this. When I was growing up, uh, one of the things that I was taught about Jesus's, about Jesus's humanity is that Jesus was free from original sin and depravity 
because he didn't have an earthly father. And the idea is this, that, that it's, you get your, that people get their sinfulness from their dad. Okay? Has anybody heard this ever? Okay? Now, you do get your sinfulness from your dad. Okay? But, not in the sense, but this is, but that's not the right way to think about why Jesus, why Jesus was not born with original sin or depravity. The Holy Spirit's involvement in the virgin birth, it's the Holy Spirit that protects Jesus from original sin and depravity. So that's what I think Luke is getting at back in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. It's because the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary, the power of the Most High overshadows Mary, and the child to be born to her is thus called holy. So, so when you think about Jesus' sinless humanity, and it's right to, to know and confess, Jesus was not born under, uh, with original sin. He was not born condemned in Adam. He was not born totally depraved. He was born sinless. But the reason he was born sinless was not because of the absence of a father. It was because of the overshadowing work of the Holy Spirit, because of his, because of the virgin conception, uh, virginal conception in Mary through the Holy Spirit. Whereby the Holy Spirit, at the same time, did not create some new man, a uh, new race. Okay? He is, a new man. He's the second Adam, but we, but he uses Mary's stock, her DNA, her genes are right there. Jesus is the son of David, literally the son of David. He's literally, as we saw and as I preached to you from Luke, the end of Luke chapter three, the son of Adam. He must be. There have actually been Christian theologians who in error throughout history, who in error throughout history have taught that that when the Holy Spirit made Jesus in, in Mary's womb, he actually created some new man. He didn't use any part of Mary. But no, that's false. That's wrong. That's, that, that creates a new race. He's basically an alien who looks like a guy. But Jesus came into our race. He is, he is a full participant in humanity without any subtraction whatsoever. So, the Holy Spirit... In, in, uh, in the conception of Christ, through the Holy Spirit, he protected Jesus from being tainted by original sin, from being tainted by depravity, from any sinful corruption whatsoever. You think about in, infants, children, even little Oliver there, or Anastasia, I've been trying to say it right, um, just down the block. They are, children are born well, listen, kids, I hate to break it to you, but you're born corrupt. Like, your soul is bent towards sin and corruption. You're, even if you didn't sin, you're still corrupt. That's the way we, we're all born. We're born sinful in Adam. Not just sinners, not, not just doing as he did, but we're inclined towards sin just as he committed sin. And so this taints every single one of us. Every single one of us is born a sinner. We're born condemned. We're dead. We're children of wrath, Ephesians chapter 2. And so we actually deserve condemnation and death. Because even if, even if we never committed an act, we're, our souls are bent away from God. What do you do with that? You've got to do something with that. We all need a mediator. We needed a man who was not like this. And the Spirit protected Christ from this sinfulness. And I believe that's what, that's what Luke is teaching us. He's actually teaching us this in verse 35 of chapter 1. Because the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary, the one to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So when we think about Jesus not being tainted by sin, understand that's the ministry of the Spirit. But then, even with his human nature, we see the Spirit's involvement as Luke begins, continues to unfold the story of Jesus' childhood. In chapter 2, verse 40. Luke chapter 2, verse 40. You're still in Luke. How are we doing today, tonight, this afternoon? I feel like you, you're all listening pretty well. That's good. 
Maybe I shouldn't have played the change my rhythm of speech card until a little bit later. I tried to do that in the afternoon, as many of you know. Sometimes I do it on Wednesday night. But I might have to do it again. We'll see. But keep paying close attention. You're doing a pretty good job. Some of you younger, ki- some of you younger kids, I can see you're a little, like there's a glassy eye look that you have a little bit. But this is important. We're talking about Christ, our Savior. And I'm not thinking of anybody in particular when I say that. Well, maybe there's a couple of you. All right, chapter 2, verse 40. The Bible says, The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Verse verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I know the Spirit of God is not mentioned in these two passages, but he's growing in favor with God and man, and that's the work of the Spirit upon him. John 3.34 says that he whom God has sent utters the words of God for he gives the Spirit without measure. And then we can also think of Psalm 45.7, which foretells of the Christ to come. And you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So what I, so we've covered now two different topics. What was the first thing we talked about? What does the Holy Spirit have to do with Christ? What's the first thing I mentioned? Does anybody remember? What do you have to use my words? Testify or prepares the way, right? Okay, good. What's the second thing? It's the second thing. I just finished it. Virgin birth. Begetting Christ's human nature. Okay, good. Now, the third aspect of Christ and the Holy Spirit is, and this is a really important one again. Maybe I'll keep saying that all afternoon long. That would be really interesting for you, wouldn't it? Like, which one's really interesting, Pastor? Oh, they all are. The third one is this. The Spirit is active. This is what I want you to understand. The Spirit is active in every stage of Christ's ministry. Now, have we seen this in Luke? Rhetorical question from Pastor where he's asking it just to kind of nod. Yeah. We've seen this in Luke, right? Where have we seen the Holy Spirit? Think about the sermons in Luke, if you can remember any of them. Think about the sermons in Luke. What have we seen? Where have we seen the Holy Spirit in in Jesus' ministry? Leighton. Okay, good. Now, I don't know if the Spirit says that he's involved in Peter's confession. Okay? But you're right. Um, in fact, wait a I haven't preached that part from Are you thinking of where Jesus says to Peter after Peter says, You are Christ the Son of the living God, and Jesus says, Why do you not be Yeah, I think so. So, yes, I have seen that that's a really interest that's really good. But that's for a different topic on a different day. Okay, I'm and let's even though sometimes I don't always go to passages that explicitly mention the spirit, but I just kind of give myself this Okay, even though that's a passage I was thinking of chapter five, where Peter says, Oh, I don't want to have the spirit being there. I mean he was there. As I said to you, he was, but he wasn't mentioned by Luke. Okay. Question on the floor again. What's the question? Where have we seen the Spirit involved with Christ's ministry in Luke so far? I've probably intimidated you all now, because now you've got to think of one where the Spirit's actually mentioned. Yeah, Scott. His temptation. Absolutely. So, let's go to Luke chapter 3, 4, verse 1. We've already mentioned... I'm saying that the Spirit's involved with every stage of Christ's incarnate ministry. We've already mentioned the virgin birth, the virginal birth, the virginal conception, and the virgin birth of Christ. Okay, we've already mentioned that one. That's the first one. And so I didn't, I'm not asking for that again. But the second one would be his youth. But the third would be this temptation. Okay? Where it says in chapter 4, verse 1, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. I feel like I just preached a sermon on this a couple months ago. And I won't rehash everything, but the Spirit is the one controlling Jesus here. So the Father, want, it is His will that Jesus be, te- be tempted, that He undergo this temptation, this testing. 
And this test, this testing is necessary for him in, in his, in his fulfilling active obedience. His, his being obedient to the Father. So that, by the time he, the end of his life comes, he has obeyed the Father completely, including during this temptation phase in the wilderness, overcoming what Israel could not overcome in their own trials in the temptation, showing trust in God and His will in a way that Israel did not during their wilderness wanderings, and becoming a satisfactory sin substitute by His perfect righteousness. And the Spirit's the one who directs Him to go into the wilderness teaches us something important. That when we're tempted, we shouldn't always blame sin. Sometimes God allows temptation to come into our lives. And that's certainly what's happening with Christ. So the temptation. Good. Brent, uh, uh, Kevin, I know your name. Yeah, exactly. So now he's going to Galilee and he's still being directed in his earthly ministry by the Holy Spirit. You see, Luke wants us to understand this. He wants us to see Christ is operating under the direction of the Holy Spirit. So verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And, uh, and that could be that, that power of the Spirit could be that the Spirit's directing him. It could be that it's manifesting itself now in healings. Remember, Luke doesn't give us, he kind of picks the story up in Nazareth in a way that the other Gospel writers don't do. And, and so Luke is summarizing things here, and he, but he wants us to understand that the Spirit's involved with that ministry. Okay, good. And in the very next passage, right? The Nazareth encounter where Jesus says, my my preaching ministry is anointed by the Holy Spirit. My ministry as the Christ. I'm the Christ. The Spirit of God, verse 18, is upon me because He has anointed me. Let me ask you, let me ask you young people a question. Let me see if anybody knows the answer to this. Okay? 19 and under. Okay, that's what I'm looking for here. Anointed. The Spirit of God has anointed me. Why is that important? with relation to Jesus Christ. Does anybody know? Kevin? says, so Christ, Messiah, is anointed. You tracking with me? What does Jesus say? The Spirit of God is upon me because He has anointed me. What was David anointed with? This is a trick question. What is David anointed with? The Holy Spirit. That's what you taught last week, isn't it? I haven't listened yet. Did you get in the theocratic anointing? What else is, yes, what else are kings anointed with? In addition to the Holy Spirit. Oil, that's right, oil. Okay, good, very good. So, so Jesus is saying, uh, here in this passage, I am the Christ. That's part of what he's saying, but he's also saying, I am, the Spirit is upon me, he's anointed me, so I'm the Christ. The Spirit's anointed me, and 
I'm the guy that Isaiah's talking about in Isaiah 61. So he's also saying that. And then he's saying, there's another, I preached a sermon on this just a couple months ago. I could preach it again. Not really. Uh, not at this moment. I'd have to look at what I said. But, <laughs> but the emphasis in this passage is on his pro- proclamation ministry. Right? Do you remember me saying that? I remember saying that. I tried to say that. You're like, wow, you were trying to say that? That's really interesting. I never noticed that before. Now you do. Look at that. Let's look at that again. Verse 18, to proclaim good news. He has sent me to proclaim. Verse 19, to proclaim. (laughs) So what's the Spirit anointed Jesus to do? The Christ to do? To proclaim a message. And, And then we read about Jesus going around proclaiming, preaching. And everybody is amazed at His preaching because the Holy Spirit is with Jesus and His preaching ministry. So we have the temptation. We have His ministry in verse 14. We have His ministry in verse 18. Um, In Christ's ministry, through the Holy Spirit, is a sign. The fact that the Spirit is upon Him like this is a sign of the age of the Spirit that He is offering His people and that He will establish in His millennial kingdom. The fact that the Spirit is all of a sudden acting like He is with respect to this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is a sign to all of Israel this is the one. This is the one who's going to establish my God's kingdom. The preparatory ministry, the virgin birth, and then every step along the way, guiding, blessing, controlling his ministry is a sign that this is the one who will bring the age of the Spirit. Now I'm using the age of the Spirit, not for the church age, and we'll have to talk about this a different Sunday, um, Lord willing. Not the church age, but I'm talking about which, where it will be in full measure. When the, let me just add this as a footnote, though. Okay, so I'll just touch on this, and then I'll get back to what I'm trying to talk about that I'm increasingly come to realize I don't have enough time to talk about today, this ministry of the Holy Spirit. Listen, when, when, even though Peter talks about the, in, in Acts chapter 2, with all that's going on on the day of Pentecost. He says this is, this is what Joel's talking about in Joel chapter 2. It becomes very clear that, that that age, as Joel described it, is not what f- was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost in its entirety, um, just stating it mildly. And then, as we begin to read along in our New Testament, we find out that the language of the Holy Spirit as it pertains to us is a great blessing of the church age and it's a rich resource for believers and it's life-changing for us. However, however, it's also spoken of in something of a mitigated way. When I say mitigated, I mean it's not the full thing yet. In other words, the age of the Spirit isn't fully here yet. And I'm thinking here of language like down payment. Several times Paul calls the Spirit a down payment of our hope. Which is to say, we have it, um, we have the Spirit, we have Him indwelling us, we have Him richly, and it's tied to the age to come, but yet that age is an age of the Spirit unlike any other. That's still to come. Okay, back to our um, our current point, which is, if you'll remember, I'm trying to show you that the Spirit is active at every stage of Christ's ministry. And we've looked at several different aspects already. Um, we could even see him shaping Christ's affections in Luke chapter 10. I don't know why I put this on here, but that, for some reason I thought this was, I wanted to read this verse to you. So we go to chapter 10, verse 12. What? Not verse 12. Don't tell me. Verse 21, I mean. Yeah, here we go. So we see Jesus again 
Again, we're talking about the relationship of the Spirit to Christ. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Wonderful passage. And then uh, we can talk about the relationship of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm skipping over a lot here. We could see him, uh, a large part of his miracles in, in large, his miracles in large part have to do with the work of the Spirit. This is the point of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But if we go to Hebrews chapter 9, I'm going to fast forward in the interest of time to his atoning death and the relationship of the Holy Spirit to Christ's atoning death. Now, we don't have a lot of revelation on this, but we do have this passage, which is... Um, Uh, a very deep and profound verse. Verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, Hebrews 9.14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So the Spirit here seems to be active in Christ's atoning work. So the Spirit is over all of Christ's earthly ministry. How about the resurrection? Do we have any clues that the Spirit's involved with the resurrection of Christ? Now the Father raises the Son from the dead. The Son raises Himself from the dead. John chapter 10 says. But is there any hint that the Spirit's involved with the resurrection of Christ? Okay. The answer is yes. How about Romans chapter 1? Let's go to Romans 1. Verses 3 and 4. Concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then uh, you might remember from the hymn in 1 Timothy 3, remember what it says? Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit. And when I taught you on that, is that that is, I believe, yes, all of his signs and wonders that he did through the Spirit, but ultimately in his resurrection. And then 1 Peter 3.18, I'll read 1 Peter 3.18, listen here. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Made alive in the Spirit. There's another one. So the Spirit, I want you to see, is orchestrating or active, you might say, in every stage of Christ's ministry, from beginning to end. And then Jesus, so Jesus was divinely directed at every point of his earthly ministry in obedience to the will of the Father through the Spirit. And again, this is primarily, these the influences of the Spirit are primarily upon his earthly nature. In fact, when, when, uh, when the, when the Pharisees say to Jesus, and I alluded to this a few moments ago, but the Pharisees say to Jesus, well, he casts out demons by what? By Beelzebul. By the power of Beelzebub. Right? Beelzebub. However you want to say it. And, and Jesus says, this is blasphemy against whom? The Holy Spirit. They don't recognize the power of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus and his ministry. So now we've seen the Holy Spirit's preparatory ministry concerning Christ. We've seen his begetting Christ's human nature. We've seen his um, activity at every stage in Christ's earthly ministry. But I also want you to see that um, Christ, as mediator, gives the Spirit 
to the church. To testify of Him. Christ is able to send the Spirit and because of His death, burial, and resurrection, He purchases the Spirit, if I can put it that way, so that He can give the Spirit to us. And the first hint of this that I want you to look at is Luke 11. I want you to look at Luke 11. So Christ gives the Spirit to the church. He gives the Spirit to the church. So the Spirit is active during Christ's ministry, but Christ also gives the Spirit to the church. And we will see how Jesus teaches us that His His suffering and glorification are necessary for this. Um, Not particularly in this first verse, but it still uh, still is worth looking at. Verse 13 of chapter 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So this is the first clue that Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you the Spirit through the Father. Father is going to pour His Spirit out upon you. But then we can, most of these passages that I want to look at are in, cha- are in the Gospel of John. So go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And there are two facets of this. We're going to look at some passages and I'm going to draw some conclusions from these. John chapter 15. And, and this is going to bear more, this has to do more with the, uh, the current age, the church age. John chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now, this is a really important verse in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. A very, very important verse. It's one that if we're going to understand, if we're going to understand the Holy Spirit, we need to get our minds around what Jesus is teaching here. What I want you to notice, first of all here, and I'll return to this in a little bit, but that word helper, it's also translated comforter. It's the word that's translated uh, Advocate in some places. Um, parakletos is the word. And it, 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 can, it has legal connotations, especially when we think of advocate. We know that Jesus Christ is our advocate. In 1 John, Jesus Christ is called our advocate. But Christ also has an advocate. And what's interesting here, an advocate that he sends to us, What's interesting here is how he ties the helper to the spirit of truth. Okay, Not just the Holy Spirit, but he calls him the spirit of truth. And the fact that the Holy Spirit bears witness about Christ. Now hold on to that for a little bit. Okay, I should be able to get back to this before we're all done. I want you to hold those things in your memory. But um, the, the important thing is that Jesus is promising that He will send, He and the Father will send the Holy Spirit to us, to, his, to the disciples. Those are the ones He's talking to. And this is a future sending. He, Christ will send the Spirit from the Father And that spirit will bear witness about Christ. Now go to chapter 16, verse 7, just a few verses down. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Alright, so what is Jesus tied the sending of the Spirit to here? Him leaving. Okay? So, um, what has to happen for him to leave? 
he spoke something somewhere back there. He asked the guy, how did you say that? Then he looked up. He said, he asked the guy, and he said, he has to ascend. How is it? Well, he didn't say it would have to happen for this fully to, to come to completion, this meeting that he wants. If he died, of course, then he doesn't rise again. But if he rose again and just hung around, well, then he would still be here. He has to go away. And he's making it sound as if this is actually better for us. Now, we may not understand why. I read this and I'm like, I think it would be really great if he was around. <laughs> I would love that. But Jesus knows best. And he's trying to tell, you, tell us, no, no, this is necessary. I have to go away because I'm going to send something to you. I'm going to send someone to you. This helper. Notice he uses the same word that we saw in verse 26 of chapter 15. Helper, advocate, comforter, parakletos, parakletos. And the coming of the parakletos, again, to reiterate what Kevin answered and what I got him to answer by the time he was done, is connected to his death, resurrection, and ascension. If we go back to chapter 7, verse 39, we have another little uh, another little bit about this. Um, I'll begin in verse 37. Now on the last day of the feast, the great day, I'm in chapter 7. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Was not yet what? Glorified. So this, this, I think this is really helpful in understanding chapter 15 verse 26 and 16 verse 7 that we just looked at. That the coming or the giving of the helper, the giving of the comforter, the advocate, the parakletos, is tied to Jesus is being glorified, which again includes his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So there's a way in which Christ must, um, Christ will give the Spirit, but for him to give the Spirit, what is necessary first is his cross work. His cross, his resurrection, and his ascension is necessary for him to give the Spirit. You, and, and I think we can even go a step further and say that he is purchasing the Spirit through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. He is, he is obtaining him through this work. And we see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, the same kind of word about the Spirit. There, uh, Peter says, therefore being exalted at the right hand of God, speaking of Christ, Christ is exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So what is Peter tying the Holy Spirit to? The ascension, which is built upon if I, or connected to or a necessary consequence of His death and resurrection. So the Holy Spirit is, will do um, the work of Christ in his bodily absence. That's what Jesus promises. The Holy Spirit that Christ has sent does the work of Christ in his bodily absence. Let me quote from A.A. A. Hodge on this. Quote, the Holy Spirit thus dispensed by Christ as mediator, this is really good, acts for him, acts for Christ, and leads to him, leads to Christ in teaching, quickening, sanctifying, preserving, and acting all grace in his people. As Christ went on earth, led only to the Father, so the Holy Spirit now 
leads on to Christ. I think that's really good. Um, I'm trying to think of what I want to try to skip over here. A couple other things that, well, this is worth looking at. Go, to, go back to John chapter 16. If you're still in John 16, that's wonderful. Look at verses 13 and 14 now. Uh, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and deliver it to you, uh, John says. Um, so here again, we have the Spirit testifying to Christ. Whatever he hears, he speaks. And he speaks the things that are to come. He speaks the things of Christ. Whatever he hears from the Father, he guides into all truth. And so this is another aspect of the Spirit's ministry that Christ has given. One other passage that's, that's useful here for us to see how Christ gives the Spirit to the church is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But I'm going to wait on that. Don't go to that. I'm going to, I want to make another statement. I want, to, I want to develop this further. The relationship of the Holy Spirit to Christ. So Christ gives the Spirit to the church. And the point I've been trying to make to you, I've been laboring to make to you, is that Christ purchases the Spirit. His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension is necessary to the pouring out of the Spirit. Okay? And it's not until he leaves that the Spirit can come. And then he sends the Spirit. Now I want to take this a step further. And understand that Christ is our advocate, even as Christ is our advocate with the Father, the Holy Spirit is Christ's advocate witness on earth. Christ is our advocate with the Father, 1 John 2, 1, and the Holy Spirit is Christ's advocate witness on earth. And we've already seen this in part. If you flip back to John uh, chapter 15, this is, this is the key verse. But before we look at that, let's look at verse chapter 14, verse 16, just a few verses up. Jesus says this, And I will ask the Father, I think we've sung this. Haven't we sung this? And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another comforter or helper or advocate. To, and remember, that word helper means advocate. Parakletos to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth. There's Spirit of truth again. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, so there's an everlasting presence of this, of this Spirit. He will be with you forever. He gives us another advocate, another helper, another comforter, parakletos, and he witnesses Christ. That's what we, we saw in chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Okay, so this is the way Sinclair Ferguson summarizes what, what's going on here. He says it this way. Quote, Jesus means to send the apostles into the world to be his witnesses. Within this context, however, we now learn that the chief witness for Christ will be the Holy Spirit, whom he will send from the Father. He is the Paracletus. So as Christ advocates for us before the Father, the Holy Spirit advocates for Christ to us and to the world through us. So an advocate was not so an advocate comes from legal context. It's, it's like a lawyer, but it's a little bit different. It's not like they had professional lawyers, like we think of professional lawyers today. An advocate or lawyer in this sense would have been someone who in a courtroom testified about, about the person who's on trial saying, I didn't, I saw, I was with him when you're saying he did this. Or I can testify this about this person. He's standing up and he's testifying concerning the person on trial. And this is what the Holy Spirit does with Christ. He's the witness concerning Christ in the world. He comes to advocate for Christ 
by telling the truth about Christ in the world. He's the spirit of truth who advocates, who's the advocate for Christ. And he helps his people um, against the world. So this is why I think what, um, this is why I think this, there's this connection as well in John, not simply between sending the helper, but Christ as he talks to the disciples who are his witnesses. The apostles will be witnesses concerning Christ. They'll be eyewitnesses concerning his death, his life, his teachings, his resurrection. They're the ones who testify to the world concerning Christ. And in this passage, Christ says that this very spirit will guide their writings, their remembrance concerning Christ, and thus their writings, so that there's this record concerning Jesus to the church that comes through this through the apostles, but the apostles through the Spirit. So the Spirit is advocating for Christ through the apostles. But he's the chief advocate. He's the chief helper who says, who witnesses about Christ. He will, Jesus says in verse 26 of chapter 15, he will bear witness about me. But he does so in more than just filling our heads with information you need to see. He doesn't just come and say, well, there was this man named Jesus, and this is he lived, and he died, and he did miracles, and, and these are the facts you need to know about him. Well, the Spirit comes and bears witness with our spirit. Um, I can put it that way. Well, that's taking it out of context. But he bears witness into our hearts and our souls concerning the truth of Jesus Christ. And he brings an assurance that Jesus is who he says he is. So that there's this conviction, there's a spiritual conviction in our souls. He is Lord. What he says is true. He did die for my sins. He did rise again from the dead. And the Spirit's using that apostles in this. He's taking the word that he gave to the apostles, bringing these things to his remembrance, to their remembrance, and impressing upon our souls the truthfulness of this message. A witness, a bearer, a helper, an advocate who says about Christ, these things are true to our souls. This is the big difference between someone who has his head knowledge and no heart knowledge. This is the big difference between someone who can talk about the Bible all day long and not believe a word of it, and you, who believes that these words are true and are the words of eternal life. That's the big difference. It's not just in factual knowledge, but it's the Holy Spirit coming and sealing them upon your heart, opening up, hey, this is not just true. We see, we, we, we behold Christ, we hear the message of Christ in the gospel, but, but we see it as true and we see it as beautiful and glorious. And this is what the Spirit does. He's this witness concerning Christ which is so necessary. And this is, gets back to that verse that I was going to have you look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'll just flip there quickly and read it. Verse 3, where Paul says this, I want you, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. How do people say Jesus is Lord? It's through this witness, this advocate, who comes and says He is Lord to our hearts. In a similar way that we saw what Jesus did to Levi earlier this morning. He says, follow me. And in in some remarkable way, a man's life is turned upside down. And he follows him. He leaves everything behind. All the money, all the pleasures, all the comforts, and follows Jesus. How does that happen? It happens by the Spirit. In the church age, through the writings of the apostles, through their preaching, through their ministry, the Spirit becomes the chief witness to Christ, opening up the hearts of his people to know him. And this is the mark of those who live in the kingdom, who enter the kingdom. 
who believe in Jesus Christ, who confess that he is Lord. Christ's people join him in the kingdom. And this spiritual work is, is a big part of what that kingdom is going to look like. Imagine an age where everyone is born again. Everyone knows Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit will do. Now, these are some facets of the relationship of the Holy Spirit to Christ. I've talked about His ministry. I've talked about preparing, how the Spirit prepared the way for Christ, how the Spirit uh, beget Christ's human nature. We talked about how the Spirit was upon Christ in His earthly ministry. And then we kind of shifted gears and looked at how, how the Spirit becomes this advocate and helper in the church age as Christ has purchased Him and His grace to point to bring believers to a saving knowledge of Christ and to teach Him the truth about Christ. He doesn't speak about Himself. The Holy Spirit's always pointing at Jesus. All right. Hope that makes some sense. I'll open it up. I know I went a couple. Um, I started early, and here we are. We're right on time, except for two minutes late. But I'll, is there are there any questions before we dismiss? Any questions? You can ask me afterwards, okay? All right, Hannah? Okay, let's stand.